Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength and Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is Dave Rosales, and today I'm super excited to welcome back Anthony Donskop to the show. Coach Donskop is the founder of Donskop Strength and Conditioning in uh, the Columbus, Ohio area. He's an author of two books, Physical Preparation for Ice Hockey, Biological Principles and Practical Solutions, and Physical Preparation for Ice Hockey 2, The Gain, Grow, Grow Method. In our first conversation in 2020, we talked a lot about uh, his second book, and in today's episode, we talk about Anthony's time starting a podcast, the, the Hockey High Performance Podcast, which is absolutely phenomenal and something to get into. But more broadly, we talk about science, what science means, what is science literacy, how to read research studies, and this whole side of SMC that sometimes we don't think about, or we think about a lot, but we don't necessarily how to apply it and what it means. So really, a total masterclass on that. This was obviously, a lot of you probably follow Anthony Donskop. He's uh, very interdisciplinary and combines so much knowledge from so many different sources and that's one of the reasons why every time i get to talk to him it's just an absolute pleasure so without further ado here is coach anthony donskop anthony welcome back to the hockey strength podcast thanks so much for for being back with us here hey thanks so much for having me it's a pleasure yeah it's it's been a few years since we had you on and since our last conversation you've started a podcast which is which is awesome it's the the high performance hockey podcast and, and I've been listening along. I know tons of our listeners have been listening along, so there's a lot of overlap. But my question to you is, is why start a podcast? And of, of course, there are you know a lot of promotional reasons and business reasons, but I know that you're the type of person who probably has has deeper reasons behind that. So wh- what what made you want to do a podcast? Yeah, I think a couple of reasons. I, like, I love the game of hockey. I've been involved uh, with it my whole life. Um, I, I, and I, I like to be able to, to speak to smart people and scale a good message. Uh, so when there is information being disseminated, um, you know, it's coming from credible sources. Selfishly, it's always interesting because I learn uh, as I interview, I'm sure as you do, right? So you, you, you get to hand choose the people that you interview and, and ask uh, the targeted questions that you've been possibly, you know, wanting to hear yourself and you're able to ask those. So there's an element of learning as I go. Um, there's an element of just giving back to the game. I love the game of hockey, leaving a legacy and challenging myself. I think those three reasons were huge. Um, you know, I, I, I um, it, it's been a labor of love uh, and a learning experience, and, and uh, it's been a, a unique opportunity. Yeah, what's something that's come up for you that maybe you've learned about yourself or or learned about like the art of asking questions or anything that you maybe didn't anticipate to learn that you've learned through doing a bunch of episodes. Cause I know that's been my experience. Yeah. I've got a big mouth, so I, I need to learn to shut my mouth. Uh, uh-huh. So I, I've uh, probably one of the, the, the gentlemen that had the most profound effect on me in terms of interviewing skills. I've, uh, I've spoken about uh, this podcast in the past and it has nothing to do, but everything to do with hockey. It's called econ talk with Russ Roberts. And I just love the way he interviews. He, 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 he gets right to the heart of the matter. He spends little time on, um, you know, extracurriculars, et cetera. That's on the front end of the interview, but the questions are just bing, bang, boom. And um, he, he chooses some really interesting guests. Again, like these are economists, these are uh, scholars, these are uh, coaches, uh, just all sectors of life. Um, and I think I, uh, I think I said this once and I stole it from Stu McMillan. I mean, the last exercise science book I read, it's been a while, but every book that I've read has to do with exercise science and coaching. So, you know, I, I, I think that in terms and measures of how I interview, uh, I do my best to try to get to the heart of the matter and ask some really important questions. 
that are pragmatic and user-friendly for, for multiple populations, whether you're a professional strength coach in the National Hockey League or whether you're a, a, a business owner like myself. So those interview skills, though, Russ Roberts is, is the man. He's a, he's a really interesting guy to listen to, and he's, he does a fantastic job interviewing. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to jump to a question I had planned for later, but because it's relevant now, I love, and you brought this up before about how, you know, a lot of books you read, a lot of things you listen to don't have to do with strength conditioning, but they all have to do with strength conditioning. And so my question there is, I think if you were starting a book club and you had other strength conditioning coaches in the book club and you can choose the books, but the, the books can't have the words athletic performance coach, like uh, athletic coaching, anything related to SNC. Are there any are there any books? They could even be podcasts or or any any content that comes to mind for not yeah, well, SNC me, related, me, but SNC yeah. related. So I'm not going to give recommendations yet, but let me just show you what I I just I got three books on my shelf right now, and uh, I'll share them all with you. And th- most okay. of these are recommendations from people I hold in high in high esteem. Uh, the first recommendation is the Three Languages of Politics uh, mm. from Russ Roberts. He recommended this. Nothing to do with strength training, excellent communication book, excellent to see where other people come from, their backgrounds, their belief systems. Uh, it's not about changing anybody's mind, but it's about understanding, you know, understanding um, communication amongst differing points of view. The Road to Character, nothing to do with strength and conditioning, perhaps uh, one that I'm going to enjoy. Uh, another book that I just, Critical Thinking uh, by Tom Chatfield, interesting read, but if you ask me, these are all have nothing to do with strength and conditioning. They're on my reading list right now. So they're, they're my, my reads at the moment. Uh, getting back to your question, which I believe you asked, what kind of books would you start for your book club? Is, it, is that how you'd start that? Is that either types of books or for any specific yeah. books? Like this yeah. is a book that strength coaches yep. will get a lot out of. Perhaps dry to some people, massively change the way I think. As a scientist, uh, I've said it before, he's the anti-philosopher's philosopher, Karl Popper. And his book, Conjectures or Refutations, is fantastic. Why is it important? It talks about the scientific process. What is science? How do you accrue new knowledge? Not old knowledge. How do you, how do you, how do you accrue knowledge? Uh, in it, it's just brilliant. I, I've, I've given it in presentations before. There's a problem. There's a temporary theory. There's an error elimination process. And a new problem emerges. That is beautiful. You asked me in prep for this, this interview, what's science? To me, I mean, if you could write that on a napkin, that's just, that's beautiful. I didn't, te- I didn't get taught that in my business undergraduate courses, in my master's degree courses for exercise science or my PhD courses. This, this, this is outstanding stuff. I've referenced an individual so many times It first was uh, uh, put on to him uh, by Miladin Jovanovic, my Serbian friend. I think I talked to you guys about him before. He's got a new book that's come out now called How to Be Smart in a Smart World. This is Gerd Gigerenzer. Uh, I talked to Kevin Neal about his, his book, Gut Feelings. I mean, this is, this is why simple heuristics can work in complex worlds. The world of physiology is a complex world. So Gerd Gigerenzer, Karl Popper, uh, these, are, these are people that have nothing to do with exercise science, but have massively impacted my coaching, the way I think, how I think. Um, I think um, for me, if you were to say, well, how, how, how would you change the way that you thought based on, you know, before or after? To me, it has it, changed the, the way, I'm, I believe I'm a skeptical person and that's healthy, right? Skepticism and cynicism are very different. Skeptics view the world in a way that asks why things may not be true, not why they are true. 
So when I, when I think uh, about Karl Popper, when I think about Gerd Gigerenser, they've improved my skepticism bucket and allowed me to ask better questions. I heard this a long while ago, and I, and I don't know where it came from. I forget. You know, knowledge is about having the right answer, and wisdom is about knowing when to ask the right questions, right? So it's, it's one thing that, to know the right answer. It's quite another thing to know when to ask the right questions. Um, and that comes from, from reading. It comes from experience. It comes from a, a lot of different places. But those two guys, they would be tops of the reading list for me, tops of the reading list. Uh, but there's a, there's a bunch more. You know, if I were to say a non-book, everyone should download Econ Talk. I heard that first from Doug Kachichian a long while ago. I think there's like 500 episodes. You can listen to some really interesting people that have nothing to do with strength training, but they'll change the way you think, change the way you interpret things. They'll make you a little bit more skeptical possibly in the future. I mean, that's not saying you don't believe things. Again, it's just asking the right questions, I think, and, and, and sorting through things. Yeah, and you had, just to refer to people, for more on this what is science, kind of the highest overview, you did an awesome episode an awesome episode with uh, Doug Kachichin and Fergus Connolly. That was your, your first episode. So instead of rehashing some of that stuff, I'll just refer to people there. And I would like to take this in the direction of, okay, I love this idea, these kind of like high concepts. And what's mm-hmm. an example of how you've applied that concretely in a strength conditioning program? Yeah, I mean, well, look at look at the Karl Popper analogy. What is science? I wrote it on a napkin. What's what's the problem? Okay, so science starts and ends with problems. So what's the problem? Okay, well, let's talk about this in just a general strength and conditioning program. So we're running right now in-season programs for our Ohio AAA Blue Jackets. We train what we call the performance of excellent programs. So under 18 to under 15. What's the problem at hand? Well, what's the what's the the problem for us is how do we train those individuals based on 120 ice touches? That's in season and off season. Or excuse me, that's in season skating, like practices and games. And then combine those complementing versus competing with the sport at hand. How do we get those touches in the gym without exhausting them? Our, temp- our temporary theory is our program. Okay, well, it's just a program. It's temporary. You don't guard that like a treasure. You you, you challenge it, right? And in your error eliminators, well, what are your KPIs for your program? And it's a sexy word. I, I fell into it for me as a young coach, picking way too many KPIs. What are the three or four things that you think are really important? How do they apply to your sport? And then you measure those and you error eliminate. Perhaps you tinker and adjust the system. For us, we get a look at, at, a, at, a, at a radar chart for our athletes, right? Where, where do you fall in your upper body power? Where do you fall in your overall strength levels? Where do you fall in your overall 10 meter sprint efforts? Are you inside that radar or in that web? So you're under uh, underperforming in terms of relative to the group or are you outside that radar? Are you above average? And then there's a, a, a potentially targeted intervention. You're not recreating the system. You might have one or two extra things that athlete takes away and adds to their program. And then you remeasure over time. That to me is science. It's, it's really tough. This is where I don't wanna be too I don't want to pontificate too much and, and, and try to theorize, but if you look at science, I, I experimental research, like, like it's really hard. Uh, not many people have the ability to have double blind placebo studies and strength and conditioning. It doesn't happen. Like that stuff's that's medical research. That's experimental research. A lot of the times what we do in, in, in terms and measures is we're observational researchers. That means sometimes we use what we call uh, inductive logic. That means we collect data and then look at patterns after the fact, almost like a, a Sherlock Holmes. 
right? It's a little bit different. We would make fun of that, not make fun of that, but in research, like experimental research, we would call something like that the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. You shoot, uh, you know, some, some Texan shoots a, a wall and, and there's multiple bullet holes around the wall and everyone looks around and says, oh my gosh, that guy was an unbelievable shot. Look at all the shots around the bullseye. But what, we, but what he didn't see is after he shot all those, he looked at the ones that were closest and drew his own bullseye, right? So he was looking at information after the fact. That's not a problem because as coaches, we do that quite a bit, right? Like what are the trends that we see in our trend scores? What are the trends that we see in our workloads? What are the trends that we see with our athletes? We're collecting that data after the fact. So it's a little bit different. It's hard to confuse the two, uh, observational versus experimental. But a lot of the time as coaches, we're observing. And then we're hypothesizing after the fact, different than experimental research, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's such a big topic, right? But I think you just explained so well of how you go from these first principles and how you apply that while also still being skeptical of your findings because you know you're going into this being like, okay, I have these trim scores and I now have to be skeptical of my own trim scores because there's no way around this fallacy. Yeah, it, it's, I, I try to, the more complicated I try to make things, sometimes the worse it works out for me. I found through trial and error experience that, that um, and this is a lot of influence from Gerd Gigerenser, it's one of the heuristics or rules of thumb that we use for our programs. It's this one divided by N heuristic. And I know, I think we've talked about it before, this gain, go, grow model, but it's diversifying your stress portfolio. So, you know, if you put all your, your money in, in one portfolio, chances are if something happens, good or bad, obviously good, you're, you're a hero, bad, really big problems. It's the same thing for a program. You get a touch of a little bit of everything. You see where those errors or those KPIs are relative to the sample, your group, and then you might have targeted interventions. So you might change some of the stress buckets in your portfolio, but not you're not doing a, a huge facelift, right? It's a targeted intervention. Um, at least that's what I've found. And then again, you just measure and manage. I think uh, too, it's a challenge for uh, young coaches and, and old coaches alike for me, like look at some of the technology that we're faced with right now. I mean, just force plates in general. I mean, you can, how many metrics can you choose from? You get lost in the weeds. What's important? That's a question that you should ask, right? Uh, before you start measuring things. There's a lot right now in terms and measures of, of tech. And I think that's a great thing. I think it helps us objectify information. We got to make sure that we have reliable and valid tech. But we have to make sure that uh, also we're not getting lost in the weeds and, and, and forgetting the big picture. The first principles, understanding the context and how to communicate that to the end user, which I think is even more important. Yeah. Okay. I want to stay on the topic of science and I, I want to intro this with a new course you have as well, which is called the, make sure I get it right, the High Performance Hockey Masterclass. And you have a module called Reading Research What Matters. I think mean, that's going to really tie into this conversation of science and science, yep. maybe scientific literacy. So, what inspired this module for you? Oh man, that's a really good question. I think for me, I'll give you a, a quick background education-wise. So I graduated with an undergrad in business administration at Miami of Ohio in 2001. Looking back, I wouldn't change it. Uh, I, I'm happy with my undergrad. It taught me a lot of things um, and it, I still use it to this day. Seven years later, I went back and pursued my master's degree in exercise science. At the time, I had a business started, Donskoff Strength and Conditioning. And I, I, I was unable to attend a thesis-based, class-based master's program. 
so uh, although I got my master's in exercise science, I, I didn't have the, the, um, the, the, really the, the, the training that I'd like when I wanted to look and disseminate and filter research. So then fast forward to 2018, I'm a 40-year-old PhD student. I just took another seven years off, eight years for my PhD. And as you can appreciate, that is like drinking water through a fire hose for someone that's taken that long away from academia. So I was just overwhelmed. Quite frankly, when I read things, I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I look at? What like, <laughs> what, what areas like, what are, what's important? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where do I go? So that was the impetus. Uh, for me, I had a fantastic uh, um, supervisor, super, super patient, great, great human being. And, uh, you know, this wasn't trying to in reinvent the wheel, but the, the, the impetus for this reading research, what matters is to target your reading and be a better skeptic when you do ingest what you are reading. Yeah, and okay, let's talk about reading studies. Let's talk about reading studies because as strength conditioning coaches, you know, we're not we're not trained academics, so we might not even be no not even know to read with studies. I think a lot of times, like, like I'm guilty of this too, and I think everyone who says yeah. they're not is lying a bit. But like, I'll read an abstract and be like, okay, this is what this means, and then try to make an argument out of it, which is not what we should do a lot of the time. So, what mm -hmm. are some of these? Okay, better question. How do I decide maybe what research is worth reading or what I should read? And then yeah. once I start reading, what are some key maybe first principles for going about it or or key fallacies to look out for? Yeah, how, how do you decide what research uh, to go for? That's a great question. For me, it's what am I passionate about learning? Some would argue, you know, there are certain journals that are higher caliber than others. There's a lot of pay for play and, um, you know, it's, it's essentially nowadays, it seems as though it's, it's publish or perish. And that's a problem. You're seeing a lot more people putting out research papers because, I mean, from an academic standpoint, you want to be tenured, right? So research gets moved, moved and moved and coupled with the fact that in terms of measures of some of the journals, I mean, these journals are a business. They make their money by accepting articles and accepting money in turn for accepting articles right if they're open access journals um so for me I, what do, what am i passionate about learning about uh i had a big um i had a big uh probably about a month ago i, I got into a lot of the research on external load for hockey players so i wanted to prepare for some of the people that we had on our show talking about external loads guys like kevin neal my friend and uh, uh, guys uh, uh, that we've also spoken to in terms and measures of, uh, of, of asking those questions. So I did a deep dive into external load. I think there was about six to eight articles that I went through, but here's what I did, right? For me, the last thing I look at is the abstract. And uh, I think uh, Matt Jordan uh, and Miladin Jovanovic call, call this abstractitis, right? It's the easiest thing, it's the low hanging fruit. That's what everyone goes for. And then, and then they want to cite the research. Yeah. That's, to me, that's, that's, that's probably the least important, right? Methods and results are the big dogs. Okay. The methods and results. Like how, how, how did you do the study? Um, this is a Ben, Ben Goldacre quote on bad science, a book that I strongly recommend. You I love this to book. Read. This it's book, I'm second this recommendation. Yeah. You said, always read the methods and results section of a trial to decide what the findings are because the discussion and conclusion pages at the end are like the comment pages in a newspaper. Isn't that interesting? Like to me, so I guess that the, 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 you're giving me a, what would I look for? 
I'd read articles or, 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 or topics that interest me that I want to learn about. And then I'd, I'd hyper-focus. You know, who wrote the article? Do you know that colleague? You know, is, hey, do you, hey what, are you, what are your thoughts? I always go, I try to have filters. So I have, I have some mentors that I, I trust that, that send me research. And I have some mentors that I, I would send research and say, what do you think? Um, so filters, but start with the method section, right? There's, and always remember this too, it's, it's difficult, right? Because uh, Matt Jordan had a beautiful uh, infographic in one of his courses. And I know Matt gave credit to another individual that, that, uh, that he got this from, and I, I forget his name. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to, uh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so that's, it's not Matt Jordan, but I can tell you this right now, the most important thing that you can do is get research from your own sample size. It's your own sample size. Most of the research that we look at is not on elite athletes, right? It's on average Joes or recreational athletes. Um, so it's hard to get big sample sizes with elite athletes, or you just can't do it, right? You're in a pro team and they just say no. So for me, what do I look for? Areas to look for, sample size, Okay. Small sample size, the less power of a study. Power is the probability of a type two or a false negative, okay? Sample dynamic, who are you looking at? Is it professional? Is it recreational? Is it a desk jockey like me? Like you might see someone that has zero training age get massive gains from a program, but that, that same program to a high trained athlete, their gains might look like my hairline, they're non-existent, right? These are things that are tough. And when I say experimental versus observational, I look at this and like coming out of a PhD and I talked again with Matt Jordan about this and like these little things that I didn't think about. Ordering effect. Did you randomize your group? This really doesn't have like strength and conditioning. Like I can't do that with 60 U16, U18s every single time. Hey buddy, it's get on and jump. You know, you're two minutes, get back to the end of the line and you're jumping again, right? But did you randomize that? Because that may, may be bias, right? If all of your jumps were in one order, then maybe your squat jump at the end is going to be affected by everything else. These are small little things, right? Familiarization period. Like if I gave young Tommy a, a task, perhaps it's a broad jump, and I didn't get him a chance to familiarize himself with the pattern, what's going to be better, his first jump or his third jump? Probably his third jump, right? Why? Did he get powerful in five minutes? No, he just learned how to jump a little better, bit better, yeah. <laughs> right? But that's a big one, right? And then the validity and reliability of your equipment. How, how reliable is what you're measuring? Like, what's the ICC? Like, what's the, is that, is it, if, is there a, you know, based on the individual that came in a week, two weeks from the time he or she tested, is it a reliable measure? You know, did, is it a scale that may measure, measure you on 50 pounds and you come in a week later and you're 100 pounds? That's not very reliable. You have to look at equipment and most of the stuff that you're going to be in published research, you know, you're, you're going to hope that that's the reliable stuff. And it's not really rocket science, but you have to ask yourself those questions. Remember, look at it from not a cynical view, but a skeptical view. Ask why this may not be true. And the last thing I'd say is maybe you think this is great research. Okay, awesome. Then use some of that research with your athletes. Measure, manage, and, and, and error eliminate. Last thing I'll say about this, and I don't want to deject anybody. This is just my own brain and my own hamster wheel running. Another thing that really struck out to me, and I, I keep referencing Matt Jordan's episode. We've had 23 episodes. 
so far. Uh, and they've all been outstanding, just unbelievable from NHL strength coaches, NHL head coaches. Yeah, very diverse group. Sport, yeah, sports scientists, uh, physical therapists. It's been amazing. But I'll never forget, I asked Matt Jordan this. He, Matt Jordan received his PhD from one of the most decorated neuroscience individuals in the world in Canada, Walter Herzog. Like, I'm, they Google his name. He's a who's who. He's distinguished. My supervisor said this guy was, he's the real deal. He's unbelievable. Matt in his interview told me that 20 years into his research, Walter said, I'm done with human beings. I, when I do research now, it'll be, it'll be uh, animals. My next question was, well, why? And then you think, duh, is because you know how many confounders there are? You know how many things affect another, meaning, you know, I can control a hamster in a box. I can tell him what to eat. I can give him a diet. I can put a little hamster wheel in there. I can, you know, you know how hard that is for a human being? You know how many things affect someone's vertical jump? Maybe it's caffeine that he or she had. Maybe they got cut off in traffic. Maybe one has a higher training age. Maybe one has a weaker training age. Maybe one said something to someone before that person did the event. Maybe it wasn't the same time of day. Maybe he wasn't eating the same diet. Maybe he didn't have the same hydration. Like you can just, there's a million confounders. That's why I say like, it's hard to do experimental research on humans. We're observing. And at the end of the day, one of the other, um, one of the other fallacies that I, I talk about in, in this idea of metrics and measure that we talk about is this man versus steel fallacy. I call it clouds and clocks. Don't confuse clouds with clocks. Like a, a human being is a very complex, complex, complex person. Never the same. The environment changes. Clocks, on the other hand, they're complicated, but you can take them apart and put them back together. That doesn't mean don't test, by the way. It doesn't mean don't use good valid tests. It just means that there's limitations all the time. And those numbers are always going to be uh, different depending on when, who, where, and how they're going to be measured. I think everything you've just said the last 30 minutes is such a, a good example of what scientific literacy looks like. And this is a term that gets thrown out all the time. I mean, we could even go the political route with this and how much people are like, man, if we just had like scientific, scientifically literate people. And when you really, it's like, okay, well, what the hell does that term mean? Like, what do we mean by that? And I think what, what you're seeing and what you're explaining is that it's so complex and it, it's, it's a craft like anything that you keep learning. Yep. And I think you always just continue to, to ask yourself, you know, you just keep challenging yourself. I, 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 I still feel this way a ton. And I have so many questions that I try to learn every day from. And, and I certainly don't think that I'm any kind of, uh, you know, I'm a lifelong learner at the end of the day. And I think one thing that was taught me to talk to me, excuse me, that I heard this as well, going into a PhD. And now that I've taken and, and been out of it is like, you learn more and more about less and less until you know absolutely everything about nothing. And if you don't think that you question yourself every day on that, it's the truth, right? The old saying is your island of knowledge grows, so does a shoreline of your ignorance. That is the real deal. So I have questions. There, there, are, there are areas of thought that, you know, this high performance hockey masterclass, since that's been put out about five, six months ago, I've changed my mind on several of the things that I've put in there. That's called learning. I know Mike Boyle talks about that a lot, but it's just called learning and, and growing. And I get educated every time I speak to someone on our podcast. I can tell you that I had many aha moments whether it's sprint mechanics with Stu McMillan, whether it's uh, the, the, the scientific approach with Matt Jordan, you know, th these are some, uh, these are some really a big aha moments for me and, and continue to learn and, and feel like a student all the time. You, you, you never graduate.
So I read uh, your first book whenever, whatever year it came out, which was probably like 2016, yep. maybe I, I was in like high school or like yep. playing my first year of juniors. And I remember reading this book and being like, this is not actually a book about strength and kind of the opposite of what you say. Every nothing yep. book is about uh, strength and conditioning, yep. but every book is about strength and conditioning. I would take this yep. almost as the opposite. We're like this is a book about strength and conditioning, but it's it's actually about so much more. And I enter that to explain one thing I really admire about you is how interdisciplinary you are and and how some way like not some way it all connects though to what you're doing with strength and conditioning. And I view myself as a very inter interdisciplinary person as well. Like I'm a writer. Yep. I studied, I went to an interdisciplinary program in university. And sometimes, this is a selfish question, I sometimes find myself like getting distracted and, and going down so many different rabbit holes in so many different fields. Like I'll get lost playing chess for like three weeks and like come out of a yeah. cave and be like, I need to work or something. So I'm wondering what you love about strength conditioning and what's something that with all the interests you have, you know, you write great poems, you write great books, you have three guitars that I can see in the background that our <laughs> audience can't see. What do you love about strength and conditioning and, and what keeps you keep what keeps bringing you back to it? All who wonder are not lost. That's uh, I think let me let me first start with what your serial interests are. That, that'll make you a better coach. It'll make you a better, uh, better person. It'll make you, um, you know, I, I think that's really important, not just for, you know, not just for health mentally. I just think, period. I call it being a serial specialist. I think that's really, really important. What I think your your answer was what drives you to be a strength and conditioning coach or what, what is your drive? It's a great question. I think as I've evolved in my strength and conditioning, at least in the private sector, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Great coaches fan the flame of the human spirit. I love working with individuals, helping them reach their goals. I love it. Um, we know as strength and conditioning coaches, we're a small part of a big journey. But to be able to be a part of that journey, I think is a huge, huge, that, that's what gets me up in the morning. And then I think the second part of my career as I, I started to evolve is that now I'd like to educate younger coaches, right? I'd like to be able to, to manage a little bit more, uh, still be on the floor, of course, work on some of the areas that I continue to struggle with and I want to learn from. Statistics is something I, I don't want to be overly critical on for my, myself, but I like learning more about statistical analyses. I've, I've had some, some really good mentors in terms and measures of uh, being able to, to communicate research better by, by informative dashboards. It was one thing where we always collected, but now we've got we've got better narrative to give to our athletes because of this. And those people I think of, uh, thank, are thankful for, of course, but I think to me, communication, love, joy, and then this idea of, of, of um, continuing to leave a legacy. My dad, my brothers, they've all been coaches. They all are coaches. And um, I, I know that um, they always, they just want to, whatever they do, they'd like to leave in a better place. And for me, that's what I'd like to do with strength and conditioning. So what drives me is the people. Just loving what I do. It's a fantastic answer. Thanks for sharing that. I was, that was a selfish question, but I, I really, yeah. really appreciate that yeah. answer. Your new course, the High Performance Hockey Masterclass, has a ton of different yep. modules from, you know, that Dr. Max, the hamstring of hockey, to a whole communication module. And, and I think, and you've said you've already changed your mind a few times. And of course, we could talk about any one of those. But, and this is a question from Kevin, so I'm segueing into it, is talk about how much you're changing your mind and constantly learning. So what's something that in the last few months you've seen that you've been tinkering with what's like a new hypothesis you have that you're working through a, right now a new hypothesis that i'm working through well, i can tell you one thing that i do want to do and it'll be done sooner rather than later i'd like to be able to quantify a little bit more the workloads experienced on the ice and that was something i've always been passionate about but the reality is resource wise 
as a, in a pri the private business sector, on the private, you know, there, there's every time you have a job, whether it's the National Hockey League, college hockey, um, and, you know, for the private sector, there's always constraints, right? For me in the private sector, the two things that, that are constraints are imagination and budget, right? Um, for me, I would really like to some testing on the ice, uh, some 30 meter sprint testing, and then external workloads. We're working towards external workloads right now and quantifying that with some of the uh, the technology uh, through uh, uh, through Catapult. Uh, so that's really exciting for us. And we we like we when I say we just started that, we have yet to start it, but we will be uh, here this coming week. So I want to look at external workloads of our different position groups, our defense, our forwards selfishly for me because I'd like to see what those are right what's experienced during a game and then how can we use that to either um, drive return to play parameters and or possibly push the gas and or hit the brakes a little bit in our strength and conditioning work I really like the thought of that for return to play I heard some unbelievable presentations Maddie Price was one of them it was just outstanding and how he uses that technology so I want to learn for, from that standpoint and then the last thing with, with our lasers on the ice, you know, I, I think from reading the research, uh, all the research that I've read regarding, you know, what are the best correlates, what are the best relationships to on-ice skating speed? Certainly the ability to sprint fast on the, off the ice and the ability to jump and, and produce power. So rate of force development off the ice are, are the highest correlates for, you know, skating fast. Not, not being a great hockey player. They could be, I mean, obviously, but just skating fast. So, I would like to run that with our population. So our, 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 U, our U18, our U16, our U15 groups, I'd like to be able to, to look at what they're doing on the ice, whether it's a sprint, a cornering test or whatever, and then run a correlation matrix with our off-ice metrics and to see you know, what marries up in terms and measures of the relationship. So those are two areas that I'd really like to get into and learn more about. The external workload, I feel like a complete rookie, but I, I'm, I'm eager to learn. Yeah, I mean, just the, of course, everything you're saying is super helpful for coaches, but more importantly, just to like, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm new at this too. And even though you're, you're definitely one of the most well-respected and one of the more well-known coaches in hockey, like you're still a beginner in a lot of areas, but more importantly, as you've said from the beginning is, is always learning, always growing yeah. and, and seeing how that scientific process starts from beginning. And then maybe in like three or four years, you might have a book out about um, on ice testing. <laughs> yeah. It's always good. It's always good too, though. When I will say this, this is where I always tell young and old coaches too. I mean, I'm not that I need to give advice to older coaches, but like everyone's got holes to fill for lack of a better word in your education. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, that's why I got a PhD. I mean, I, I, I wanted to be a better scientist. Like I, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do that. Everyone's got those holes. Uh, in my opinion, if you can build a good resource of good people, to talk to and learn from I kind of call that fast forward learning. Like there's going to be some people in my, in my, <clears throat> in my group and friends of mine that I, I, I have I'm lucky enough to call colleagues that hopefully will help expedite that process too. Right. You know, like I can pick up the phone and call Kev about possibly, you know, some advice or, or Matt Price about some of that advice, you know, or Stephen Nightingale, another one that I should have mentioned prior had an interesting episode, super bright individual with the New Jersey Devils now. He's done a ton of external workload stuff in Catapult. He's a guy you'd want to get on. He's a really interesting guy, super well-educated. And I was lucky enough to chat with him as well. 
these are people like um, uh, that 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 can help backfill that that are, allow you to foster this fast forward learning type environment, which I call. You know, those are good mentors too. Good mentors do that. Like Dan Fast, the guy that I hold in high regard, Mike Boyle. Like Dan Fast would shoot me an email in five minutes with five different contacts and say, here, you know, here's the guy or girl you need to talk with. I'm like, wow, thank you. So the, building good relationships. That, that helps too in, in the learning process. And, and obviously humility, you need to ask the right questions, but you need to understand that nobody knows it all. You know, we're at, at some capacity, we're all guessing, right? Absolutely. Uh, last question, another just curiosity one for me. Have you thought about writing a book? You've written two books. I know how hard books are. Hmm. I, I know it. I, I've helped write books. They're a lot of work, but have you thought about writing uh, a book about science and scientific literacy? Man, I, 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 no, I, I haven't. Maybe, maybe, uh, it, like I said, I, that, that would be tough. I, I think I'd consult with a couple people before I did that. I think I'd want to have some co-authors. Um, yeah. uh, specifically, I think, um, I think some unbelievable books have been written. Like I could say Popper, Popper, Popper. He's got s- several books, but yeah, I think, uh, and I don't know the, the landscape right now. Selfishly, I'm sure there's some super, super smart people that have already written books about the that scientific literacy and specifically in exercise science and, 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 and performance. Yeah. There's some really, really bright people that I, so I, I here's probably why I think you could to. be a good person for it. <laughs> and I'll use an analogy. Okay. So yeah, let's say, let's say it's someone like Ryan holiday, who's had just a f- fantastically successful career writing books. And yeah. he has really, what he's done really effectively is taken a lot of these ideas of stoicism and communicated them like kind of like a middleman and translated them into a way that's really accessible. And that is why I think you should think about it because that's how I view you. Like Popper's den, Popper's not easy. And the average lay person is just as likely to pick up Popper as they are to pick up a a translation from the 18th century of of Epictetus. (laughs) And sometimes we kind of need those translators who can make them really accessible for people. And so that's why I think, yes, of course, there are people who are more experts and probably have more knowledge on it, but you might be the right person to write that book. Oh, hey, I appreciate that. That's that's a big compliment. Thank you very much. I I, uh, I appreciate that. Anthony, this has been it's always super fun to talk to you. I love all of your content. Um, just like the way you think, there's so much to learn. Again, not just about strength conditioning, just about life and in the thought process and the learning process in general, which is also something that I'm super passionate about. Is there anything yep. else you'd like to mention? Uh, anything you'd like to to plug? Obviously, the podcast, like. We don't put off enough episodes, and I know people listen to podcasts. Likely, to do a lot of podcasts. So, yeah. everyone who listens to this podcast should also <laughs> go check out Anthony's podcast. Start from episode one. I haven't gone to the Matt Jordan one yet, unfortunately. I need to now go skip yeah. to that one. But I yeah. would start from episode one and and just and just work your way up. So, anything else yeah. you'd like to mention? No, thanks. I, that's great. I appreciate it. I like I said. I know you asked me at, at the onset of our our interview. The the high performance hockey podcast is is really for coaches and that includes head hockey coaches skill coaches uh scouts front office managers athletic therapists strength coaches mental skills coaches um nutritionists and athletes it really is and the goal again is to to really uh, dig down uh, i call it where science meets ice so to get into some really interesting conversations to grow evolve and, and continue to leave the game in a better place so uh, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. Hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, uh, everyone can also listen in and, and, uh, we can, we can share our listenership. How about that? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's not a zero sum game out here. And I'm, I'm also yeah. really looking forward to 
listening to how you sharpen your skills as a as an interviewer because I know it's hard and I know I sometimes I listen to my first few I'm like oh my god but also still always learning of course so I'm also looking forward just as as someone who studies podcasts at that perspective of the of the of the show no I appreciate it thank you very much well thank you so much for coming on again Anthony and I'm looking forward to our uh, our next conversation absolutely have a good one guys thanks you too Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you can find links to everything discussed at the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com. While you're there, you can check out hundreds of articles and dozens of webinars on everything related to training hockey players. And you can also sign up for our email list and get bi-weekly training knowledge bombs dropped right to your inbox. So once again, that is ProHockeyStrength.com. If you're interested in hockey, strength conditioning, or peak performance, then we're looking forward to seeing you on the site.